turn to Psalm 71. Psalm 71 will be our text this evening. We find David suffering again. We learn once again how to handle adversity, how to handle trials, how to handle suffering. But there's a slight twist on it that I think will be very practical for us. For if the Lord gives us length of years and length of days, we will all come to a point of gray hair. And how do we deal with adversity, trials, and suffering in addition to also growing old? And so from a very practical standpoint, we see how David handles it and in many ways shows us what, what our goal, what it, really our purpose and this and desire to reach a certain age in life should be. We also see that this is a messianic psalm, and we see that this ultimately points to Christ and that David himself is showing himself to be a type of Christ And so as we look at this, the first thing I want to show you is that it's in many ways a connection to what preceded it in Psalm 70. Now, while they're distinct psalms, and each can stand on their own, they they are nonetheless connected. You'll notice that at Psalm 70, there's a superscription there to the choir master of David for the memorial offering. Then you get to Psalm 71, there's, there's nothing. It just bleeds right into Psalm 71. So many commentators note the fact that they're probably um, related to one another. They should be read together, and so we should see them as as a unit together. There's also something else interesting about it. The first three verses are a repeat of Psalm 31. Now, if we were going back in the Psalter, and we were looking at the conditions for which David wrote Psalm 31. It was earlier in his, um, in his life, and he's facing adversity, he's facing struggles, likely dealing with the issues with Saul. So consider this, is David's early life is met with adversity, trials, and suffering, and he cries out to the Lord and asks the Lord to wipe out his enemies and that to judge him in righteousness... David walks faithfully with the Lord. And when he gets to the end of his life, we find him in the exact same situation, that he's never able to ever fully depart from trials. He's never to depart from suffering until he leaves this world. And so we see that there's this connection that he has at the beginning of his career, uh, of, his, of his life with trials, suffering. He gets to the end of his life, and there's, guess what, trials and suffering. And I think that if we were looking at all of our lives, we would experience a mixture of that to some degree. And so it never leaves David. And because it's at the end of his life, it's probably Adoniah and his struggle with Adoniah. And Adoniah was his son that was going to assume the kingship. Because you get to the opening chapters of Kings, and you see David as elderly. He can't keep warm. He's he's dying in essence, and he's towards the end of his life, and he knows it. And his son Adoniah assumes the throne of Israel, 
without the blessing of David and without the blessing of God. And so what David has to do is he has to deal with Adoniah at the end of his life, which brings again suffering to his life. And so let us hear this psalm. It's 24 verses. Let's hear them all together. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You have given the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. I have been a portent to many, but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. For my enemies speak concerning me. Those who watch for my life consult together and say, God has forsaken him. Pursue and seize him, for there is none to deliver him. O God, be not far from me. O my God, make haste to help me. May my accusers be put to shame and consumed. With scorn and disgrace, may they be covered who seek my hurt. But I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. With the deeds, mighty deeds of the Lord God I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. O oh God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O oh God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those who come. Your righteousness, O oh God, reaches the high heavens. You have done great things, O oh God, who is like you. You who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. From the depths of the earth you will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and comfort me. I also will also praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, O oh my God. I will sing praises to you with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you. My soul also, which you have redeemed, and my tongue will talk of your righteous help all the day long, for they have been put to shame and disappointed who sought to do me hurt. This is the word of God, and let us pray that he blesses the reading of this word and the exposition of this word. As you heard this read, you can picture an aged David near the end of his life reflecting on God's mercies throughout his life. And it's as if he's asking the Lord, one more time, will you rescue me from this situation? As you always have. He begins by crying out to the Lord that the Lord is his refuge and that he takes refuge in the Lord. In fact, verses 1 through 3, I just simply call refuge. He's looking to the Lord as his refuge. And these are the very same words that he says in Psalm 31, as I already mentioned. 
But he starts off, in you, O Lord, and that's in you, Yahweh, the covenant name of God, do I take refuge. Never. Let me never be put to shame. Now, it's interesting. David will oftentimes use the word shame as he did in Psalm 70. Again, Psalm 70 and Psalm 71 are likely connected where he is called for his enemies to be put to shame and to be confused. He later on in this very psalm calls for his enemies to be put to shame. And so when David speaks of being put to shame, he asks this in two ways in his prayers often. One is, let me not be put to shame. And then when he speaks of his enemies, he says, let them be ashamed. And we looked last week at that that word ashamed. It means to be embarrassed. It means to be publicly ashamed, to be reckoned guilty. And that's what he's calling for, is that his enemies would be put to shame. But he himself, he's asking, may I never be put to shame? And so he says this as he says, I take refuge in the Lord. And because of that, may I never be put to public scorn and rendered guilty. He says, in your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me, incline your ear to me, and save me. This is a bold prayer, because he's asking the Lord to do right. And so as he asks for rescue, he asks according to God's righteousness, which David is saying, I am innocent, so answer me according to your righteous, you God who makes all judgments perfect, you, O God, who is just, bring about your judgment, which is always perfect. That's a dangerous prayer to pray if you have guilt. And so David says that in your righteousness, deliver me. Do what's right, O God. If David was guilty, he would not be asking this question. But he rather asks the Lord to help him out of his own righteousness. You know, one thing is is that we have to see in this when he asks to be rescued. And this is a theme of the Psalms over and over again because David was a master theologian. He continually puts forth his dependence and need of God. And you see it in this sense. When someone asks to be rescued, they're at the mercy of the rescuer. When someone is in need of rescue and they're asking for someone to rescue them, it means that they can't do it themselves. And so we see continually through these Psalms one theme over and over again, and that is our dependence upon God and our need continually for Him. And as He asks God to rescue Him from this earthly deliverance that he's speaking of, he's asking God to stoop down to us, to him, and rescue him. Now think about that. He's asking God to stoop down to rescue him. Anytime we ask for deliverance, that's what we're asking the Lord to do. God, who is almighty, all-powerful, that is independent, that is holy God, that is perfect in all of his perfections. We're asking him to rescue us, and he does. That's what a merciful God we have, that he would stoop down and rescue us as he does.
David goes on to continue to bring out this idea of God's independence and our dependence when he says in verse 3, Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You have given the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. And so when you think of, in theological terms, what that's stating, we would say the rock is that is it is God's immutability, and his, the fortress is his mighty power, his might. And so he's appealing to God in this very poetic language, but deeply theological statements, God's immutability, that he doesn't change, he's like a rock, he doesn't move. He's immovable. And then his fortress that is his omnipotence, that he's all-powerful. And that's what David is appealing to, God here. And he's asking for the presence of God through these things when he says, to which I may continually come. He's asking for the presence of God and then states these attributes of God that are immeasurable, that are beyond our understanding. One thing is, is that when we recognize God's immutable nature, that God is unchanging, that's what immutable means, that God does not change, that He is a rock, it inevitably leads us to reliance upon Him. Because we're in a constant state of change, we're constantly experiencing change, whether it's the situation of the world that we find ourselves in, or whether it's our, our time of life, our body, whatever it is, we're constantly in a state of change, though the state of change that we're in is the unfolding of God's providence. And when we recognize that He is immutable, we see his plan unfolding in our lives is that immutable plan that we see mutability all around. That is beyond our comprehension. Charles Spurgeon says this, Every day must we guard against every form of reliance upon an arm of flesh and hourly hang our faith upon the ever-faithful God. That is a a reality we must come to to grips with, that guarding against every form of reliance upon the arm of flesh. We, We must daily come to grips that our God is immutable, that our God is all powerful, and we are weak and in need and completely dependent upon Him. This is a good reminder that we ever need to recognize our need for our Heavenly Father daily. Not that I'm advocating just simply wrote things, but it wouldn't it be a good reminder when we wake up, Lord, thank you that you gave me breath this morning. As we go about our day and we interact with the world, Lord, I am weak, the flesh is strong. I need your help. Please don't allow me to rely on my own means to get through this day, O Lord. And as we come to rest our head at night, Lord, you got me through this day. I only lived because of you. I'm only here now to go to sleep, and I'll only awake because of you. Setting our mind in that frame of mind 
that we are dependent, God is independent, we are in need of his grace and help daily. David moves on from God as a refuge to a plea for rescue. Verses 1 through 3, think of refuge. Verses 4 through 11, think of rescue. And he starts off by simply asking the Lord, Rescue me, O God, from the hand of the wicked and from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. And this is his hope of rescue that he goes to the Lord and can ask the Lord to help him. Now, if this is if if Adonijah is the the person he's praying about, he's he's actually asking the Lord to break the rebellion. And look at look at how David reflects upon this. Again, we're we're reading likely the words of this aging man. So as he asks for rescue, look at how he does it. With gray hair. In verse 6, Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. Notice what he says there. The Lord has been his hope from his youth. And before he even knew that there was a Lord that was working all things together, he says the Lord was working for him. It's hard to find a clearer statement of election than in verse 6. And in verse 5, you can certainly think of David being rescued from Goliath, David being rescued from animals that would attack him and he would fight off with his bare hands. You can think of all of the battles this battle-hardened warrior has fought through and, and, and saw victory at his own hands. Physically, he felt the victory. And when he gets to the end, he doesn't say, Oh Lord, Saul might have slew the thousands, but I have slain the tens of thousands. He doesn't say that. And he doesn't say, Lord, remember when they chanted my name for all of my victories? He says, Lord, it was you who saw me through this. He says, upon you I've leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. All the way back from the beginning. Spurgeon says something to the effect of, we are set apart before we're even aware that we're set apart. And what's his response to that? It's just simply this. My praise is continually of you. What what does that mean? It just simply means his praise was continually there. He was always thinking of praising the Lord. He goes on to say, I have been a portent to many, but you are my strong refuge. Now that word portent is not a word we, we use often. Many of the translations use marvel or sign, if you were just simply to look up the English definition of that word, it would mean a sign of something, a sign of something to come. And it's specifically here when he says this, I have been a portent or I have been a sign, I have been a marvel to many, is what he is saying is that he has been an example of God's divine and supernatural intervention in his life. And people have witnessed this in his life. And if you, if you do a word study on portent throughout 
um, the Old Testament, you'll find it's used in various places of Isaiah, of Zechariah, of Joel, um, and I believe of Ezekiel. And one of the things is that what they, they use that word in regards to they are an example of something that will happen in the future. That's how it's usually used in the prophetic literature, is that he, this is an example. So if Zechariah says, I am a portent, he's saying, I am a type or an example of something to come. And so what David is saying is he is an example of something that will come in the future. Now, it's interesting, obviously the book of Acts picks up on this because it says that David was a prophet. We read in the New Testament many times that David prophesied of the day of Christ. It's also true that David saw in himself as being a part of the line that will bring about the Messiah. And why did he see himself that way? Because God revealed that to him and told him that he would be of that line and through his line. And so David then, as we look at the Psalms, and you could say this is, because we're moving into to book, um, the next book in, in, in A Song of Solomon at the, at the end here in 72 next week. If you, you look at all of David's Psalms, how do we understand them? How do we understand his trials? How do we understand his suffering? David was a portent to many, and how we should see David as a portent as well, as a type of Christ. So in this particular psalm, David is then showing himself to be a portent of a righteous man who suffers unjustly. And this is a pattern that will be seen in the future. Incredible theological point there that David makes that helps us to interpret the Psalms, that helps us interpret the Old Testament. And so, as a realization of this, he says, My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. And so, my praise is continually of you. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. David just continues to speak of his praise for God. Now, this is in persecution. This is in suffering. He finds praise for the Lord. But we also see that David's at the end of his life and has lived a long life of suffering, unjustly many times. And what does he still do? Praises the Lord with the aches and pains. You remember when he gets to the end of his life, he, he couldn't keep warm. His body was failing. That's called thermoregulation. His body could no longer thermally regulate. He's getting towards the end of his life, and through praise or through pain, he still praises the Lord. It flows from his lips so naturally. And he goes on into verse 9. He says, Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. And this passage seems to indicate that his adversary, Adoniah, enters into the picture when David is old and he thinks David is, is helpless and he's near the end of his life, so his enemies are going to capitalize on David's weakness. 
But there's a beautiful picture of God's love for his servants in this request. Let me read it again. He says, Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. David, in terms of physical strength, is diminishing. And age makes it difficult to do things we once did in the strength and vigor of our youth. However, look at what we see here. I've talked to many elderly saints who said, I just can't do anything anymore. Homebound people that that just really can't leave the house anymore. And they say, "I, I can't do anything. I'm rather useless. No, no, no. Look at David. He can't get out of bed. He can't keep warm. And he's asking the Lord to not forsake him so that he might be of use. There's a great exchange that happens in age. It's strength for wisdom. We we don't lose our usefulness because we get older. It just changes into regards of what what it is that we do. That's a beautiful picture here because it doesn't change our usefulness in God's kingdom that we age. If we're no longer mobile as we once were, it doesn't change our usefulness in God's kingdom. David's showing that, that he still wants to be useful in God's kingdom and that he is useful in God's kingdom. What an encouragement and what great love that God has for us is that he uses us all the way until we breathe our last breath, even if that's all we can do is breathe our last breath. He still uses us. What a merciful God we have. He goes on to say, For my enemies speak concerning me. Those who watch for my life consult together and say, God has forsaken him. Pursue and seize him, for there is none to deliver him. And so as David was starting to pass from this world, those opportunists were ready to pounce on his weakness. When David was young, his enemies would not have said this to him. But now that he is no longer able to physically defend They mock him and even claim God had abandoned him. Was David not a portent to things to come? A sign of things to come. And that he would be mocked and they would say, let your God rescue you now. So we move from refuge to rescue. Verses 12 through 16, we move to righteousness. He continues to pray. Oh God, be not far from me. Oh my God, make haste to help me. And that that prayer for God's presence to be with him certainly just continually backs what we have been seeing in Hebrews. It's not by the blood of bulls and goats that we can draw near to the presence of God. But it's by his grace through faith. And that's what he's asking for is God's presence to be with him. For God to hurry up, as we saw last week, hurry up and help me. It's the same words that he says in Psalm 70. And then he goes on. He had said, don't let me be put to shame. But in verse 13 he says, may my accusers be put to shame and consumed with scorn and grace. May they be covered. So look what he says there. When that word covered, it means wrapped around. May they be wrapped like a, like a blanket wraps around you, but it's of scorn and disgrace. 
Who is it those who seek my hurt? And so whereas he had asked to not be put to shame, he now asked the Lord that he would shame his enemies. May they be covered with scorn and disgrace. David is simply praying that what is on the inside in the wicked will be revealed publicly for all to see. That's what it means to be put to shame and to have disgrace, is that which is on the inside will be seen by all. David knows what kind of men they are. He calls them cruel. He calls them wicked. And may that be seen by all people, their wickedness. You know, we've wrestled a lot of times with how do we pray these imprecatory psalms ourselves. Well, a simple way of just simply applying this truth is may they see what's inside this person. May it no longer be hidden, but may they be wrapped like a cloak with their own disgrace and shame for all to see. And so as he asks the Lord to expose these people, he then moves on and says, But I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. So he has a petition so many times and says, I'm going to praise you. I think of the song, Here is Love, that we just sang. Who will ever cease to sing your praises, it says in the third line. And that, that ought to be our prayer too, is that regardless of the circumstances, that we are continually praising the Lord. You lose everything like Job. He got down and worshiped the Lord. That is the heart of one that is in, in, in communion with a God that is perfectly sovereign and right in all things. And he says this, and this is why we call this section righteousness. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. If you really begin to meditate upon that, that your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge, we can recount times in our lives, and David could recount times where he had been rescued by the Lord. But we have no idea how often we have been rescued by the Lord. I mean, we just, we just have no clue the mysterious working of God's providence. You know, as God is working all things together, we might be aware, we might be aware of one or two things in any given situation when there is just numerous things that are working all around us according to God's sovereign hand. I think that it would make us go crazy if we tried to think of all the ways in which God saves us and protects us all the time. It's, it's truly amazing that we're all alive. He says, this is past my knowledge. And I think that we ought to reflect upon that in our own prayer life. Lord, you have been so gracious to me. And I, I, I can't even begin to count all of the ways. And he says this in verse 16, With the mighty deeds of the Lord God I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. And so he states this again, what he's going to say, except for this time he qualifies it. Now he's already claimed to be righteous in this situation, but when he reminds them of it, 
He's not reminding them of his own righteousness. He's not saying, I was, I was innocent and these people were bad. He says, I'm going to remind them of God's righteousness. What a way to reflect upon how we deal with adversity. We move from righteousness now to reflection in verses 17 through 21. And here David is going to reflect on his life at this later stage. And I, I think there's wisdom for all of us to consider. And, and let me just ask this question as we go to these verses. Um, what are our goals in life? And so, young, young people, you consider this question because you do not have gray hair yet. And those of us that are, are, are getting gray hair let us reflect upon this question together. So how does he start this off? Oh God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. Think about that. When he was youthful, the Lord used him. What does he say that he's doing now and what the Lord is doing from now? And I still proclaim your deeds. So just because I'm aging... I'm still proclaiming your deeds. And then verse 18 is a wonderful verse. So even to old age and gray hairs, O oh God, do not forsake me. And here's the key word, until. Until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. And so the purpose in which David desires length of years is so that he may share Christ to the next generation. Think about that, what motivates our desire for age. We might say something like, I would like to see my grandkids. I'd like to see great-grandkids, and that's wonderful. But let's turn it to what David would teach us. I'd like to see my grandkids so that I can proclaim the gospel to them. I would like to see my great-grandkids so I can proclaim the gospel to them and share with them how Christ has rescued me. That's, a, that's, that's the, the motivation he shows us in aging. It's, let me share the gospel until I've completed the task you've given me. Don't forsake me. He goes on to say, Your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you. His righteousness is infinite. And it's, it's important to recognize that when we speak of God's attributes, we are speaking in terms that we can understand. God is perfectly, infinitely righteous. That means He is always just. He is always morally right. And when we think of His attributes, and they are distinguished for us in Scripture, and language we can understand, we have to understand God is His attributes. God's not part righteous, part love, part grace, but God is Righteous. God is love. He's not parts of these things. This is why the confession says God is without parts, and that doesn't mean body parts. It means we don't split God up into little things that He's part this and part that, and that's how we define it. That's why we say God is His attributes. All that is God is in God. God is righteous. He's perfectly righteous. He's immeasurably righteous. He's infinitely righteous. He's eternally righteous. God is righteous. 
And, and when we go to praise the Lord, let us praise the Lord in the most glorious terms that the human language will give us. And Davis, David gives us an example of that. Now, it's important to understand God's righteousness when you read verse 20. God is always right. God is perfectly just. You who have made me see many troubles and calamities. David recognizes God's sovereign hand in every single trial that he went to, but yet David still recognizes God is righteous in every single one of them. He says, well, you will revive me again from the depths of the earth. You will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and comfort me again. It's amazing when you think about that verse, because as you read in the Chronicles, you read in the Kings, after David's death, David becomes the standard by which all subsequent kings are measured. He becomes the standard bearer. It's very important that Paul makes the argument that, that Christ is according to the flesh from David. His influence increases. His greatness increases in the Lord's plan of redemption. And his praise of redemption is the final verses. I will praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, O my God. I will sing praises to you with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you, my soul also, which you have redeemed. And my tongue will talk of your righteous help all the day long, for they have been put to shame and disappointed who sought to do me hurt. The tension that we felt is resolved. That the Lord puts them to shame. And David, throughout it all, never ceases to proclaim the righteousness of God. This psalm teaches us how to view our goals and purposes in life as Christians, doesn't it? Our great desire to proclaim the kingdom of God from youth to gray hair. What greater motivation could we have than that to be used of God throughout our whole entire life for his kingdom? It puts a different perspective on how we view things and how we view our motivations and how we think about some of the things that we want that are good things. David gives us a spin on that that really corrects our thinking on why we want to age. But there's something else here. This really isn't a psalm on how to grow old. This is a psalm that's about the Lord Jesus Christ. And the key to that is when David says, I have been as a portent to many. That's the whole point of this psalm, and that's the whole point of the Psalter. Is that David declares himself to be a portent. And he is. He is a sign, he is a marvel of things to come. You think of all of the Psalms where David says he's going to continually praise the Father. Who did that perfectly? Not David. Who was taught of the Father perfectly? Out of David. Christ was. You think of this idea that you have, before I was my birth, you are he who took me from my mother's womb. You think of what's said of, of Christ 
When Peter says this of Christ in 1 Peter 1.20, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in last times for the sake of you, who through Him are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Christ was known before the foundation. Specifically, it speaks of Christ's election in 1 Peter. You think of Christ was mocked. You think about how Christ was mocked. They mocked him and said that he was forsaken of God. And David speaks of this where they say in verse 11, God has forsaken him, pursue him, and seize him, for there's none to deliver him. Do you not hear these words upon the cross? While Christ is hanging there, and the mockers were there gathered around him. And what is it that the mockers would say? They said this, he trusts in God, let God deliver him now if he desires him, for he says, I am the Son of God. He saved others, he cannot save himself, he's the King of Israel, let him come down from the cross and we will believe in him. What did they say of Christ while he was on the cross? They said, God has forsaken him, pursue him and seize him, for there's none to deliver him. But notice what it also says. There's, a, there's, a, there's the resurrection is in this psalm as well. Look at verse 20, where it speaks of the depths of the earth, which is really literally to be deluged in a flood. It's speaking of death is what it's speaking of. And then he says, revive me again. Let me show you a couple places where that word revive um, finds itself. In, in 1 Kings, and I'll just turn there, you don't need to turn there, 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 22, this is of Elijah. It says, And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. You know the story, the child was dead. And he's revived. He's brought back to life. In, in 2 Kings when you get to Elisha, not Elijah, but Elisha, Elijah's um, one that he trained, the prophet that follows him, you see this in 2 Kings 13. It says, And as a man was being buried, behold, a marauding band was seen, and the man was thrown into the grave of Elisha. And as soon as the man touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. It's speaking of a resurrection. David was a portent of the suffering servant, but he also speaks and speaks of the resurrection that will be coming. David is revived and brought not back from death, but from his enemies, and he points forward to his greater son, that will be mocked, that will be buried, that will suffer unjustly at the hands of wicked, cruel men, but will be revived. And then the wonderful truth, you will increase my greatness and comfort me again. You see that the Lord is known and has increased throughout the world. And so David shows himself in poetic language to be a type of Christ, one who suffers unjustly 
at the hands of wicked people, yet the Lord will vindicate him. You will increase my greatness. What a wonderful psalm that teaches us so much of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is so merciful to us that he would suffer unjustly for our sake, who are unjust. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we stand amazed at the the perfect continuity of your word that, that shows us Christ on every page, every verse we see Jesus. We're so grateful for the great salvation that he has brought about according to your plan that was foreknown before the foundation of the world. We thank you that we are counted as your children by adoption and that we can come to you and cry to you as our Father to rescue us in times of need and pain, just as we saw with David. And Father, we, we pray that as we reflect upon these truths, that it will be true of our heart that we will continually tell forth of your righteousness. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you'd stand and take your hymns of grace.